Greetings from Dallas, where Tracy and I and Anne and Tiffany and Matthew spent over a week with 12 teenagers. Four days in Congress, several days in mission, and four long days in the car. Um, the first couple days were a conference, and I have to say that it was a powerful experience for most of the days, if not all of them. Specifically, um, one of them managed to wheel his way on stage within the first day and play the bass with the worship band the rest of the week. I think Phil might know who that is. Ask him about it. Um, he found out after he got on there that this was actually something that the team had already prayed for. They wanted to meet a teenager with a bass that they could do it. And he found out unexpectedly that his, what he thought was a selfish move, was an answer to prayer. <laughs> the second thing that happened that was rather profound, uh, I have to mention, is that um, at least two of the kids experienced God in a very real way that they had never experienced it before about the second night during a time of healing prayer. And it did something that one of them had specifically been praying for four years to know God in a way that he didn't know before, to feel God as real. And he walked over to me and looked at me and said, what just happened? And he got prayed for Well, here's the I started to cry. So this was a very good and powerful experience for the children. It was then followed by two days of mission work where the kids went out and helped mission organizations that are down there. They did things the first day, like weed whacking and lawn mowing and garbage and cleaning up closets for a local urban ministry run by Wildland. The second day, um, they were on a farm doing such glorious tasks as cleaning up chicken crap. And running around with wheelbarrows full of mulch to put on in different areas in the farm. This is a farm that's actually serving a food desert in the area. There's no supermarkets. So everybody gets the food from community stores, which I'm sure you're not healthy. All those hostess states are. Um, they provide fresh food and they provide a place for people to learn how to farm. And people all working the farm are former addicts or street kids who are out farming. Now, we've already seen examples of Jesus' power in the previous readings of the 
you see a calling of the sea that Alex preached about, where it shows that Jesus has authority over all creation, that he is in fact God. And then also we saw the curing of the paralytic, where Jesus has authority both over disease and then more importantly to forgive against sins. And this week again, we see his authority over disease. The first in these healings before our reading for today is actually two healings that are paired together for a specific reason. There's a synagogue leader whose daughter has died and a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Now these have been paired together to show Jesus' love and compassion for everyone in the society. You have someone in the religious elite, the upper echelons of society, a leader of a community. And then you have someone who's basically an outcast, who can't even enter the temple to worship because she's considered unclean because of her relation. He heals the boat, brings the daughter back to life, and the woman's being stops immediately by his touching his brain. And as he's walking along, there's called by two blind men, another pair of outcasts, suffering people that he heals, changing their lives forever, letting them suffer. And then we get to today's reading, healing someone who cannot sleep. Now, maybe it's just me, but upon first look, your reaction to this is the final kind of healing reported might be that, I mean, come on. You brought somebody back from the dead. This woman, who has been waiting for 12 years, is healed. These guys are blind, cannot function or work, can see, and then this guy can't talk to you. Know, What's the deal? Something is that they feel. I mean, just read how people react. You go to reading now. It says, never was anything like this seen in Israel. And the Pharisees are just beyond themselves. They start to call him basically a demon or demon possessed. Why is this one putting them over the edge? Well, the crowds are right. Nothing like this has been witnessed in Israel. In the entire Old Testament, there's one example of someone being able to relieve someone who's being oppressed, not actually take care of it altogether. And that is King David before Kings came, singing to Saul when he is oppressed by the Holy Spirit. It's the only example we have. And this is much more powerful than that. So they're right, they've never seen this before. This is different. Look how he's described. It's not just sin, but a demon oppressed man. The others seem to have been caused by general brokenness of the world, the disease, or maybe genetic defect, but this is this is a spiritual condition with a physical symptom. This is why it's unique in this series of groups. This is why it's on the edge. 
in this fight we have to we think about it, we are modern Western people who have as science explained all disease. To think that a disease might exist primarily because of something spiritual is kind of outside of our standard vocabulary. We live in the modernist dilemma that started about 400 years ago. Now, I was a Boston major, so I'm going to go through every step of this era that's been going down throughout the centuries. Basically, at some point, we decided that there were two realms, the physical and the spiritual. And as time went on, there were attempts to disprove the spiritual's importance and then to prove its non-existence. In fact, in philosophy courses, I read books by people trying to disprove that people are real. Yes, you're only a machine that thinks you're real. This is the world we try existing in Western society. Now, I think things are better now. If you read the way that medicine is going, understanding the connection between the mind and the body, understanding our emotional conditions tied to our physical wellness. There is this recognition going on, but I think we still live and act as a society that treats the physical as the more important, if not the all Medicine and science is where we find our hope, and things are where we find our happiness and our peace. Now let me briefly digress here. I do not think these things are bad. My wife just came off chemo, right? I don't think medicine is bad. I think God loves medicine. I think God loves the fact that we like to heal because we have a God who is a healing God whose nature is to heal all affliction around him. The fact that we don't just let the sick die and actually desperately trying to fix people and heal people is, I think, something that reflects his character. I think he loves that we create things. When we make a new piece of art or a skyscraper or a video game or whatever, he goes, that's pretty cool. Because I created you in my image. And I like to create. And I made you so I love that you love to create. I don't think he minds that we enjoy things. Pleasure is invented by God. The kingdom of God is described as a feast with wine and food overflowing. These are good things. But medicine cannot cure everything. Or extend life indefinitely. And the things we create they rust, they break, they don't focus promise. And I think despite living in a world, in a country, in a town, where all our physical needs for survival are taken care of, and then some, and let's be honest, and then a lot more than just some, anxiety and depression rule them. Do you realize that the suicide rates are the highest in over 100 years? Why? We see these things, and yet, we still act like the physical solutions can deal with this. When life becomes too much, the anxiety goes through the roof, and the 
speedy for myself too here. We turn off the TV or grab a brownie or place a Amazon order or grab another glass of pineapple juice. You know, the funny thing is that this is where mission trip actually spoke to this one. We worked hard for two days physically. Set taking care of all the stuff, running around with little barrels in 95 degree weather, sweating like crazy. And let me get a digress here. Um, she's here for the first time after this sermon. But the boys in the van decided the person who worked the hardest gets um, every year they get off East Coast. Basically, the recognition of something that works like this. Right? That's a big compliment. So if you want to see what one looks like, you can ask Anson to see this up. Because she received the search, we started carrying around their wallet. Just in case we wanted to see the kind of things they want. We worked really hard, and she was out in the sun while the rest of us here were sitting in the cucumber shed with water pit and eating hydrogen. Um, but we had a teaching before we went out and worked that hard physically to help people. Given about how we help people. See, because we were actually helping the people who live in the community with the people who need help, right? In this teaching, they interviewed over 60,000 people for a study about what poverty is. Over 90% did not describe it in terms of money or things. They described it in terms of a, a spiritual condition. Emotional exhaustion and despair for the chief enemies. The people to describe it in terms of money were as who? The welfare people. We're trying to help. The thing is that money and things did nothing to solve underlying issues. The poverty was a spiritual condition with a physical symptom. There's a story about a fishing village where the people trying to help it, because it was very poor, decided not to just give them money, but give them boats, right? And fishing equipment. Wait for the chance, the energy to the economy so they can compete with the people around them, you know, make it into a healthier place. So they gave all this equipment. This village had a problem with alcohol, so they promptly sold all the new equipment so they could drink one. They did nothing to solve the underlying issue. They did nothing to take care of the spiritual disease at the bottom of the problem. We do mission, yes, and take care of people. Physically, but also spiritually, because we have God who cares about both. We have God who wants to heal both. And because we have a God who cares about both, ignoring either one has its dangers. Because if we just care about the spiritual, let's just go that side for a second, which is not a problem, But we're just going to go, hey, I'm really sorry for the way you feel. Let's talk about it for 15 minutes. I hope you feel better and walk away. Without giving them any sort of physical help in their lives, do they think they feel loved and cared for? Do they think they feel hope that somebody's out there looking after them? 
that there's a God who actually cares for the state of their being? No. The book of James actually addresses this kind of thing, talking about those who just escape about helping people without actually helping in a real, physical way. But ignoring the spiritual underpinnings is another danger. And you don't actually get to be part of the issue most of the time as to why things are not working. Because we have a God who cares about both. We do mission for both. But there's one more thing about this passage. It's also probably the most uncomfortable part. Because we don't have two worlds we exist in. The physical and spiritual. It's different kind of separate realms. In some way, they are one. In some way, they are connected that we can't quite find because we don't have the eyes to see. But the new speculation is not physical. And neither is the cure. It's only a symptom of the spiritual condition. Now, we could argue about if we had modern medicine, there would have been a diagnosis, and a cure provided, that would have been a very physical cure, and we would have and that might be somewhat true, but it might also have meant that whatever was underlying this condition would manifest in another way. Just because we can explain something scientifically or medically doesn't mean you've actually found the cause. I won't go into the philosophical problem of argument that's going there. Um, but I have a personal story. Does anyone here know what sleep paralysis is? One person, all right, cool. I, I grew up with you, it was just me. Um, sleep paralysis is the experience that your body wakes up happened. What that means is that your muscles don't work, so you go paralyzed. You cannot move, but you can feel your body around you. You cannot speak, you cannot open your eyes. Your eyes might be open already, but then you cannot close them. And you're still kind of dreaming. And it's an almost universal experience that there's an evil presence in the room. It is the most terrifying experience in my life. And it used to happen all the time. As a kid growing up, it happened all the time. First several years of my marriage, at least once or twice a month, I would feel this way. It is awful. And I hope none of you ever it was nice when I found out that you needed to other people's experience. I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. This is the thing. It's a medical thing. They can observe it. They can take a picture of your brain while it's happening and see it happening. And the cure for me happened on an alpha tree where I received the Holy Spirit in a profound and powerful way like a face did. Began laughing and crying at the same time as I experienced the goodness of God in a way I hadn't known before. In a personal, real way, and it stopped that effect. It's a physical thing, sleep paralysis. It had a spiritual cause, I don't really know what it was. But it had a spiritual cure. So, why is this whole thing necessary? Think about it. We really want to live in a world where demons are real and how to get us. And there is a personal evil power out there wanting our destruction. I, mean, I just 
across the common room like, recently. Have any of you seen that? Maybe just out of curiosity. Some of you have probably This is actually written by Christians, about Christians, about this couple that deals with demons and helps people. It's actually helped by the Catholic Church. That's, it's a ministry. And it's the story of one of the scariest exorcisms they have to do. It's a scary movie, I would say that. A lot of people it. It's not very graphic, but it's very close. And the woman of the couple was on the set making sure it was all accurate. So it's not really horrifying in any way. It's a scary story. Do we want to live in that Wouldn't we rather stay in our predictable, brutal, simple, scientific reality? Or able to be able to see that? Or able to see? Physical, historical event happening. 
Receiving everlasting life and the peace that passes all 